0: Hey, you're about to listen to an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, we bring the show to you free almost every week. I think maybe we take one or two weeks off a year, and it never costs anyone a dime. Well, it costs us a dime. It never costs you a dime. Uh, but a way that you can help us out a lot is, as always, you can visit our sponsors that we talk about in the show. You can also support us by going on over to Patreon.com forward slash Geek in the City. We have all kinds of levels there to help us out. And you get extra rewards depending on the level that you get there. But another really great way that you can help us out is to just share the show. Uh, we get comments all the time from folks... Um, email messages back when you could see somebody physically in the real world saying that hey I love the show or like recently it's like hey I really like the recaps you guys have been doing for Discovery and The Mandalorian um, and that's great we love to hear that it makes us feel really good but what would make us feel even better is to see like retweets of at GITC radio on Twitter or sharing us on Facebook or sharing us on Instagram uh, telling us makes us feel all warm and fuzzy but it doesn't help the show <laughs> uh, the only way to help the show is to help us get the word out. so if you could help us share the show on Instagram where it's Geek in the City Radio on Facebook, even though Facebook sucks, it is also Geek in the City radio or on Twitter at GITC radio. so yeah, help us get the word out so we can keep the show going and getting the word out there and keep having more and more years of good geeky and socially conscious, fun. Yeah, sounds good. One, two, three, Let's start five. the show now. It's been a long, long week. Why don't you spend some time with geeks? So many issues today into which we must delve. We're gonna talk about the stuff that makes you scream and shout. Hit the red alert, we're going War Factor 12, thanks for
1: pressing play, now we're gonna save the day, alright!
0: Hello and welcome to Issue 575 of Geek and City Radio, I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one
2: of your other hosts, Bea Narita.
3: And I'm your other, other host, Cable Hashitani.
0: I feel bloated. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's not
0: where I thought this was going to go. No, it's been a lot yeah, of rich like foods the past few days, and also beer, so, you know, it's just nothing but... It's like Mr. Creosote over in here. Hey, Indigo's here. Hi, Indigo.
2: <laughs> Why am I not finding our feed on the um, YouTube's tier? Because it always
0: takes a second
3: or five to boot up properly? Is there? Here, I'll, I'll sit there and refresh and
0: blah, blah, blah. There you go. You've got a link in the chat. Hey, look at that. Yeah. we we'll take that. So, We didn't meet last week because it was uh, holiday breaks and whatnot, at least as much as it can be. Um, which means this week we've got double star talking. Star talking That due. we do. That's right.
2: Almost four hours of material to... Uh... <laughs> To unpack.
0: Star Talking 2 Electric Boogaloo? See, I was going Fast and Furious when it was like 2 Talking 2 Star or something, you know. If we skipped 3, it'd have to be Star Talking Tokyo, you know, Tokyo Drift. Mandalore Drift. That's what it would be. Mm-hmm.
2: Mandalore yeah. Drift.
0: The Mandalore Drift, which we got to see in one of the episodes this week, I feel like.
1: <laughs>
0: mm hmm. But, yeah. but yeah. Catch up. How's everybody doing? All right. It's <laughs> like Do you think we'll have a different answer it, in twenty twenty one? Like my gut says no. No, we're not. Not
2: right away.
0: Not right away. Yeah. It's like when not, they see all the No them. we're <laughs> uh,
3: like I say this from, from a place of optimism. We are all still going to be wearing masks this time next year. And probably I'm gonna be optimistic and say fifty percent of the
0: vaccines
3: will have been distributed. That's optimistic.
0: Yay! No, when that starts, there'll be the all new fight. There'll be the, the people who refuse to wear masks will definitely be anti-vaxers, vaxxers hundred yep. percent. That's going to be a hoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which,
2: like, you would like to think was like, you know what? Fine, if you don't want to take your precautions, cool. Because you're now you're only hurting yourself and anyone else that you. Interact with like like your children. Like you're you're an anti-vaxer. You're not going to let your kids get vaccinated either. You're harming you and your family. But more the more likely scenario is that if people refuse the vaccine, it's going to keep spreading amongst those people, and then it'll probably mutate into something that the vaccine can no longer prevent.
0: So you're saying there's going to be mutants,
2: not the kind you want, Aaron. Oh. not the kind you want.
0: I can
3: do it X-Men style. Aaron, what be the mutant that you want to see in the world. (laughs) Oh man, what do I want to be? That's
0: a good way to start the show. Nice nerdy show. What kind of mutant do you want to be? Yeah, like what do I want to have in my power? I mean... Okay, let's break
3: it down. There are active powers, there are passive Mm -hmm. powers, um, Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to put psionics over in the other side. So, you don't want act, do you want active, passive, or psionic?
0: I have a little bit of both. Like, I've got an active power, but I've also got like a passive defense. Okay. Like a contingency spell if you're a wizard. If you're dropped to one hit point, you explode. I mean, I don't want that power. All right, hold so, on. Catch so,
2: me up here. Give me an example of a passive power and a psionic power.
3: Um, active power, uh, Cyclops's optic beam. Passive power, Wolverine's, um, healing factor. Yeah. Um, power, Jean fucking gray.
0: (laughs) Right. She can kind of be active and passive with her powers, right?
3: Um, yeah, the implication is that, uh, telekinetics or telepaths are always reading everyone's mind. They have to forcibly, they have to, not forcibly, but, uh, continually, monitor their own powers so that they're not just absent mindedly absentmindedly reading other people's minds. Uh Wolverine's mm. is one hundred percent passive. It requires something physical to have
0: to happen to him that kicks in his healing. You know, as much as the healing factor sounds good, you like that also means that like Wolverine can't ever get a tattoo. And he actually can't get drunk. You know. No
3: so I don't yeah, want that. He, he can but he's an incredibly high tolerance like the amount of alcohol that it, Wolverine requires in order to get tipsy is enough to kill 10 normal sized people
0: yeah which sounds like fun but also expensive mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the downside and also like the amount of beer Wolverine have to drink to get a minor buzz like he's just going to be peeing all the time Yeah. (laughs) Constantly. Yep. Alright, so I don't want a healing factor. Man, but then that's dangerous. I don't know. I feel like the powers I want would be kind of boring.
2: My like, psionic is kind of cool.
0: But what kind of psionic powers? Yeah.
2: Uh, Telekinesis. Pyrokinesis is fun. Really anything that allows you to essentially be a ranged fighter, because then you don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about it if you're on the squishier side. You can do damage from a safe distance.
3: Well, well pyrokinesis is, does technically mean that, that you your mind is controlling fire. It is still seen as a, a more active power.
2: Okay. What about... You know, what?
3: And like Pyro, who is a, py, a pyrokinetic uh, mutant, doesn't actually create
0: fire. He has to have fire available to control. He can't create mm. it. He's not like actual firestarter from the Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. She can just create it. Right. right. I want weather control. I think storms' powers are pretty righteous. Yep.
1: They are dope.
0: Yeah. I
3: always wonder what the offset to that is because her abilities seem limitless.
0: That's yeah, easy by hard. whatever creative team.
3: <laughs> but yeah, like they—they they pretty much give her carte blanche, it's like, no, Storm can do whatever. It's like, okay, cool, but also, that's terrifying.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, when they first find her, isn't she being worshipped? Like, in the original She's, comics? She is still worshipped in that part of Africa as a right. god. Because she, Yeah, she controls all weather. She can basically call lightning.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think she just flies. They never say that she flies because she creates a gust of wind. She just flies.
3: Yes. But that is how she flies. She, unlike Roe, she can't fly.
0: Well, like,
3: Roe can fly, fly now because she stole Ro Captain Marvel's Ro powers, has, right? Right. Because that was convenient. But that's still not yeah. her mutant power. Right. Right.
2: I always really liked Rogue, um, you know, like back in the animated X-Men days, mm-hmm. um, which is my primary, uh, exposure to the, to the canon anyway. Um, and I know that it has this, like, obvious negative side effect of, like, you can't, you can't come into contact with people whenever you want because you can't control that aspect of your power, mm-hmm. um. But it, it does allow you a lot of flexibility in that you can, like, nab a power anytime it catches your eye. And the, the whole, you know, like, I have to wear gloves and, like, this, like, the intimacy is a problem is a little bit tragic in this romantic way that I kind of enjoy.
3: All right. I think that's one of her main appeals, especially yeah. that And since they gave that um, a, a physical presence by pairing her with Gambit. Because they are the everlasting, will they or won't they? Right, right. Didn't they just
0: do a miniseries that I... where the did? <laughs> I think so. Like was Kelly Thompson wrote it, I think, and I think they got married. It's possible. There's it's an House entirely. Of... Sir, go ahead. And then I think House of X happened, and it's all like start over.
1: Hmm.
3: Yeah. Um. I was going to say that there is the answer to all of these questions is an entirely different podcast that's
1: true.
0: <laughs> that's true. that we um, don't do that, that like it is currently being done. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. That's that there, Jay and Miles folks.
2: Yep. <laughs> shaman in the did... chat says that they would go with something practical, like being able to keep track of time really well.
1: Oh, that you that never we need a actually... watch, you
2: never need a timer. Would make you very, very punctual, and for some people, that seems like a superpower. Mm-hmm.
0: That would be maddening to me because I would be even more aware of people being late than I already am.
1: <laughs> you that would see me on the watchtower
0: with a sniper rifle so fast, I'd just snap.
2: I actually actually used to be painfully punctual, and these days I struggle to get any anywhere on time.
1: Yeah,
2: I don't know if it's some if it was some sort of like regressive development because it didn't serve me to be punctual when others are not, or if it's just basically like a, um, you know, like you just, you know, eventually you just move away from things. I, mean, I had to be punctual because in the military, you, they don't mess around with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really big deal. And um, because of discipline or whatever. And the further I get away from that, the, um, the further I get away from maintaining a skill of that type. Oh,
0: for me, it always, that is, hmm, go ahead. I just say for me, it's always going to be because of my years in production. Mm. Like it's just,
1: mm.
0: yeah. Time is literally money, and on time is fifteen minutes late. Just burn mm-hmm. into me. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one the same time, thing. Yeah, I think somebody on the production told me one time that like every like a major studio, like every minute that you go over that you're like go over time, they're like that breaks down to about a thousand dollars. Like, on a major film, like, it's a stupid amount of money when you're not working. Like, you're just burning it. Yeah. That's crazy. That's why, you know, back in the day with film, 100 bucks a foot. That's why when you watch old bloopers and you hear, always hear the guy in the background saying, reset, go, 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 that's the guy who's round counting his head, 100, 200, 300, 400. Yeah. And even though I don't like his powers, I do like the ability to every time I use my powers to just yell out, "I'm non-vulnerable when I'm blasting." <laughs> oh, cannonball! Cannonball! When I'm a blasting. Uh, Does Psylocke always have to say something too? When I focus my mind, I create a dagger or something.
3: I don't think she says that, and I don't. Psylocke is Psylocke is still problematic even after I know. the House of X.
0: Yeah, Psylocke. Um, Everyone's problematic mutant.
3: Well, I appreciate that she is now physically a white British woman again.
0: Oh, she, cause I haven't, I didn't read any of the House of X stuff. I will eventually.
3: This came out at, after, th- this is post uh, House of X, but right. her transformation, like, it's covered in uh, the current X Calibur. Because she is now Captain Britain as well as being Psylocke.
0: Yeah, that's right. You told me that. It sounded kind of cool. Yep, and she is
3: now the protector. But uh, the Asian woman who was uh, whose body that Psylocke was using, uh, Mm Kwame, is still around and still has all of Betsy Braddock's powers. So okay. we don't know. Like both of them are now Stylock.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, was she a member of the Hand?
3: But Quana how they? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she was.
0: Denise is like you
3: nerds. She's one of I the. I don't. Most- I'm not familiar. Uh, Stilock was uh, another telepathic mutant, um, but she was a proper British woman. She wore a lot of pink. She had purple hair. Her out, her X-Men costume was very delicate and made it look like that she should be standing behind Colossus the entire time, cowering, because she was afraid <laughs> of physical conflict. Um, and during the 90s, I believe it was after Jim Lee started taking on... Uh, art roles the yeah. uh, the artist role on X Men, they wrote in a storyline where Bessie Braddock was targeted by an assassin and the interaction swapped minds. So so that mine was now in this Asian assassin's body and the assassin was in Radics and it died so now you have this proper british woman caucasian inside the body of an asian woman and then they're like yeah she's this great asian character i'm like uh hang on a second <laughs> <laughs> what did you just do and her popularity increased because suddenly she was fetishized
0: super fetishized
3: yep um this is the by origin.
0: fans
2: or by the writing. Yes, yes, okay.
0: and and the artist. Yep, Ghibli has a type.
2: Gotcha. Well, that's a shame because that's not um, that's not how you correctly do diversity.
3: I I did mention it was the nineties. Yeah, I to say, you and, know what, in nineties in comics was bigger, sexier, um, boobier, and
1: right. Foil so and
3: chrome everything. Yeah.
0: <laughs> if we can have 18 variant covers, that would be great. Yeah, you know what would make right. this machine gun better? Two of them mm-hmm. uh, connected. This was You know what's cooler, than a, <laughs> it's cooler what? than a katana? Two katanas glued together.
3: Mm-hmm. This was also the era that gave us
0: uh, cable.
2: Ah, your favorite. Mm
0: hmm. Cable got interesting well, about um, 10 years after he debuted.
3: Yes, yeah. when he was no longer part of r- just being written by Rob Lightfield.
0: Fabian, did a, Fabian Nacia did a lot to redeem Cable. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> anyway. So let's, switch, let's switch away <laughs> from humans.
0: To Jedi? Oh, it's,
3: yeah, do we want to do disco or Mando
1: first?
2: Uh, Let's start with disco because that's the more. It's
0: the heavier one.
2: Um, it's the heavier one. I was gonna say the more emotional one, but that's not. Uh, that's not quite right. But uh-uh. then I think that the um, I think that Mando is maybe like a little bit more exciting slash upbeat.
1: Right. Yes. Sure.
3: Uh, now I'm trying to remember. So the two episodes that we have for Disco...
2: Yeah, so and I, uh, just and I, them, I knew it? them a couple hours ago, and now I can't think of the names of the...
3: So the most recent Stark. one was
0: Unification 3. Yes. Oh, Sacrifice right and then Unification it
2: was... Scavenger.
0: Thank you. Scavenger and Unification 3.
2: Scavenger. Perfect. So Scavenger is... Um, we bring back... Uh, Booker, he has been captured and taken to like a like a slave mining,
0: uh, yeah, a scrap planet. Planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, But
2: he was able to get a message out. to He had discovered the location of a black box,
3: and the black would... box is important because Michael's using them to try and figure out the bird.
2: Yes, like they yes. they have a lead on what well not on what might be the cause, but a lead on the type of information that might help them understand it a little better. And mm-hmm. so they're, uh, I'm sorry, it's not a mining planet. It's it's like a it's like a scrapyard, like a, yeah. like a galactic junkyard. Um, and so even though Michael does not have permission to go find Booker. Uh her and Giorgio take book's ship and uh leave grudge on the Discovery.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: they they go to find Booker and this black box.
0: Yeah. Um and we get a little bit more into what's happening in the galaxy because they mention the Bajoran trading dep- depot or whatever, like don't come don't come directly to us, go through the Bajorans. Right. Um We see now that the Andorians and the Orions are clearly, if they're not chummy, they have what is essentially a trade relationship kind of thing. Like, we may not not like each other, but it's mutually beneficial for us to work together. I think that
3: that got set up in the first episode of the season, is that the Andorians and the Orions are working
0: together, and it's the Emerald Chain, I believe is what it's called? The the Emerald Chain, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, which makes me wonder if we're going to find out that Andor left the Federation also.
2: Uh, it's, it seems possible. There aren't any... We haven't seen any Andorians um, that are connected to the Federation, but there hasn't really been any talk about it either. We... At this point, we haven't even heard what the deal is with the Vulcans right. and right. the Federation.
0: That's the next episode. Right.
1: This was kind of um, like,
0: this was more like the closest that Discovery's gotten, I think, this season to, like, a more action-y, heist one. I mean, I know there was, like, the action in the bar in the second episode, uh-huh. um, but this has been the first one that's had, like, some run and gun, and that, it's definitely been the action-heavier episode so far. Um, but also well-balanced with Stamets having that wonderful talk. With um, what I gotta remember their names. Um, The new engineer, the sixteen-year-old. It's gonna be like they. um... Mm? Sorry, full disclosure. We have bad internet, so hopefully Denise and I are gonna be able to hear each other.
3: (laughs) I I think that's what's going on is you were both talking simultaneously because you can't hear the other one talk.
2: Cool. Maybe maybe cable should take over a little more. (laughs) Yep.
3: Uh, let's see what I can do here. Um, I think the, the important parts of this episode are the fact that Burnham and Giorgio went rogue uh, and how that had to be dealt with by the rest of the crew, Saru and, uh, Saru and the rest of the crew, and um, what is going on with Giorgio. So those are the, the big talking points. Like, we got to see a glimpse of this in the episode where she meets uh, David Cronenberg's character, where she just kind of blanks out in the middle of a crowded hallway on the Discovery and really doesn't say anything, but clearly she's having some episodes and we don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. Speculation? Mm.
2: And uh, and we still don't see we're not really getting anything more from her in terms of figuring out what, well, at least I'm not, I'm not piecing together what might be going on. I feel like they're just sort of coasting with that and teasing it for a future episode. Sort of like the Detmer thing. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were, she just kind of kept having episodes, but things weren't necessarily escalating. And then, and then it sort of gets discussed a little bit more broadly and openly.
0: But I'm honestly, kind of, I'm kind of thinking Detmer's okay now that they've kind of dealt with her, what seemed like a bigger issue. Um, but with Joe, like if I had to guess, it has to do with her being Taryn and the thing the Chroniverse character mentioned that we just lost. Con- they're just gone. We uh-huh. cannot. Two universes no, have,
2: uh, keep getting further and further apart.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. so I feel like something's on like a weird. Whatever, Star Trek, you know, space-time continuum, molecular level is breaking Giorgio up. Like the like the Gal- like like whatever, the Trek Prime universe is almost like an immune system, it's rejecting her.
3: The so. other way they could be going with that is that yes, that's it it is the separation of the two universes or getting further and further apart but that what she's going through is an adjustment like in order for her to be in the universe that she's in she's having these separation mm. episode so that her body adjusts to
0: being in the prime universe that, yeah. would, make, I, yeah, I, that, makes, that would be great. yeah. Can
1: see that. I'm
2: trying to think what show or movie this was from but I've seen similar but inverse uh, examples of, of sort of this theory where I, uh, oh, you're from the other universe and now you're here, but you and your doppelganger can't exist in the same place, so one of you is coming apart, basically, or or they can't survive in the other universe that they didn't originally come from unless they... I don't know. Figure out a way to like change your bio rhythm or something like that. Your the frequency that you function on because there's a slight difference between the two.
3: So there are two movie examples of what you're talking about. One is the one with Jet Li, where he is one like it postulates that multiple the multiverse exists and if you go through each of these universes, if you go jumping through them and find yourself and kill that version of yourself, then you get that power. And the more versions of yourself you kill, the more powerful you become until you are the one. And then the other one that's more recent that talked about how you can't survive for long periods of time outside of your own dimension or universe is into the spider verse. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yep which is why Miles had to be the one that ends up saving the day because everyone else had to get back home to their home dimension or they would have died
2: right Um, (laughs) there's one other one I just cannot place it Uh, but Hmm. I I, I don't think I ever saw uh, Bruce Lee as the one but I definitely saw uh, Miles Morales and um... Jet Li oh I'm sorry
0: (laughs) Jet Li well, there is the Van Damme classic time cop where if you touch your if you touch your different self at a time, you both explode mm-hmm. whoa yeah. yeah classic cinema uh
2: so good one cable i hadn't I hadn't really thought uh about those concepts when sort of thinking about what might be wrong with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, if if you're from this universe and, you know, you're now you're in this universe and that used to be something that could easily be done. Well, not easily, easily, but it happened.
1: Yep. And you it was swap. never that
2: big a deal. It always home eventually. Mm-hmm. But now you're talking about you belong here and you're over here. Mm-hmm. So I like that theory. It's
1: like,
3: like there's a tether that's getting pulled tighter and tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm. Interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, especially because she's flashing to that some that, kind
0: of death. That. Also, sorry. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm. No, I say the, the 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 teaser the teaser images that we've seen uh, for upcoming episodes. I think tether is a really good way of describing that.
3: Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the other big thing, like the the small B plot in the episode, was Stamets connecting with. Uh, Adira Tall. Uh, Thank you. And I think that was handled really well be, especially with when they discussed it. It's like you've had an experience where your pi- partner died and then came back and if that's what Adira is going through with being connected to all the former hosts through the the symbiote is Giving them an even more powerful connection to the immediate host, former host, uh, their boyfriend, then that's that's the like I can see where Stamets is like, oh yeah, that's the same thing. I 100%
0: believe you. Let's talk more.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, um, I actually really like the scene thing. between. See, I like the scene between Stamets and his and um the and Doctor Culper. It's Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it's nice to see Stamets opening up. Like he's always going to be the "I'm too smart for everyone in the room" because that's kind of part of the character's charm. But seeing him legitimately like open up to Culper was a really like sweet moment, and I actually like how Culper was like, "Go ahead, keep talking." You know, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that's good. That's good for you. You know,
3: I I think what you were talking about earlier, Aaron, with we're kind of done with detmer i don't i don't think we are but i do think that what's going on with her um in relation to she went to Hugh and said i do need help with i I need to talk i think all of her therapy is now happening off screen which is not great i would like to see some of that on screen because I, i think it's dealing with um someone who is has pilot arrogance going through post uh, or going through uh, um, that level of trauma and addressing it I think is important
0: right so I don't know if you both either of you follow one of the many Instagrams but there's a new there's an Instagram page called I think it's called just Star Trek logs Mm -hmm. and it's one of the I mean there's always a thing like look unless it happens on screen I don't care about it but uh, which I'm not that way but I get why some people say that Um, the actors have started to record personal logs for this Instagram page. And I think so far we've got Jet Reno and um, shes They've both given one. And they're not long. They're like three-minute entries. And they're, I mean, it's the performers, and it's also very much their tone you know, so Jet's like, I'm supposed to do this thing. So, okay, here we go. You know, it's a lot of that. So, we might see some Detmer stuff that way.
2: It's That'd cool, be interesting.
3: That? Um, uh, oh, I, it's not going to show up on my phone. <laughs> yeah, it's um, Star Trek Logs. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um,
2: yeah, you know what, if this was if if star trek discovery was filmed in the way that like next gen used to be filmed at some point or every now and then you would get an episode where the cold open is detmer uh you know on a couch with ship's council kind of like rehashing some of the things that happened or processing her feelings about it Mm -hmm. um and it might and it might not even have anything to do with the episode it's just the way that they you know fill in those 26 episodes uh with material but because you know the the modern uh filming style is to have like really condensed stories uh i i'm not sure if we're gonna see any more of that it would be ideal if they do touch on it more just even just a little bit or down towards the end of the season but Mm -hmm. i think it's a coin toss on whether or not we will
3: i think it's important for the long-term health of the show that they do start doing that Because they've already shown us at the outset of this season that part of the story they want to tell is the rest of the bridge crew. Yeah. Otherwise they would not, like, they are actively spending screen time putting everybody on screen so that we can see them and hear their names more often. They're just not getting additional screen time past that. And... Mm -hmm it's weird to know, like to watch the show and be excited about these characters, know their names and think, yeah, it's great to know how these folks are doing. And yet also be cognizant of how filming works and how Hollywood works. And to know that part of, like any of those actors complaint would be like, I got 30 seconds of screen time in this episode, which fans will just look at and go, Oh yeah, it was great. And they were there and they did this cool thing. It's like, yeah, I shot for eighteen hours this week, and I get thirty seconds of screen time. I don't. Why am I still in my contract? So <laughs> like,
1: yeah, you're right. I'm
3: hoping people like. I always hope that the people who are in Star Trek understand that whatever they're putting on screen, the fan base is creating more of their story for them. Oh yeah. In, well, I think. And giving yeah. them more importance than than they may be feeling
0: well i I think since this is kind of the first trek show ever where they're basically a hundred percent online in terms of fandom and so I feel like this is the first trek series where everyone involved is very much aware of how important their characters are, no matter how minor they think their role might be. There's, you know, there's someone out there that even though he's been used for this comedic relief lately, there's someone out there who probably Linus is their favorite character because he's this awkward outsider and they like to see him. And even though he's comic relief sometimes, it's like, but they're not mean to him. It's just that, you know, he's kind of awkward sometimes and that's okay because I am too.
3: Um, Linus is their Saurian re- original Barkley.
0: Yeah, but but no one makes fun of Linus. They made fun of original and TNG.
3: True, sure. this is true. You know,
0: um, so the, you know, there's like a lot of a lot of that stuff. I think, and I think this is a cast that's aware of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, which is
3: good because I think it's important that the representation that Discovery has on that bridge is important for. T- Star Trek fans of every age to see. Right. Like there are two women at the helm of discovery. There's a black woman with a very non white sounding name at the helm of Discovery. Yeah. That's important. That's super important.
1: Yeah.
0: Um and yeah, and I I do think they all know that. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Every every performer is going to want more screen time. That's just the nature of being a performer. You want more screen time. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that either. But I don't think there. I don't think we're going to hear stories like we used to hear on like TNG, where Denise Crosby or uh, Marina Sirtis at Riley would both go to the producer and say, "I'm like I have to be here all the time. I literally just sit on the bridge and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Give me something to do." Um. Granted, it was far more egregious on TNG, you know.
3: Yeah, um, and it's like, oh, you're you're doing it. You sit there and feel things.
1: Cool. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. No, I'd like to think that the uh, the writing has evolved well beyond that at this point. Uh, the other thing that's worth uh, going over is. This is the episode where we get to see some uh, some upgrades, right? This is where they end up yeah. the upgrades to the ship. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the
2: big one being that Adira has re-established how Stamets makes his connection to the spore drive so mm-hmm. that he no longer has to have those shunts in his arm, which is uh, a really big deal because it's you know, like just unpleasant body modification.
0: Right.
3: Yeah, that was important. The, this whole concept of um, programmable matter is, is neat. Even oh, right, because now they I have. Still... Yeah, go ahead.
2: Oh, so now they have the detachment of cells too.
3: Mm-hmm. That's I the one really where I wouldn't understand what? how that
0: works. Uh, Star Trek. Business. I mean, it's neat, but how does it work?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Magnets. I
0: just. It literally is magnets. They said magnetic detachment. It is Uh magnets. But it's special space magnets. Um, I did (laughs) notice when we rewatch Unification 3 this afternoon, because I'd wondered, like, because in my head, when black alert happens and that spin happens, in my head, I imagine the warpness is going like, whoop, 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 because they're all disconnected, (laughs) which would be funny. But you actually see them go, they lock right as it starts. Uh-huh. Like right, as the black alert starts and the inner saucer does the rotate, doesn't the cells lock on and then it and then it jumps? So there's that. Um, I read some complaints that Discovery still looks too looks too just looks the same on the interior shots, and I didn't need them to explain it in the series, like why. But like in real life, it's because they paid a buttload of money to build this set. And they're not going to rebuild it because it's been had an upgrade. They're just not. Um, I do like it that it's dash A, 1031 dash A now. Oh, I didn't
3: notice that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, NCC 1031 dash A because technically the discovery was destroyed. This is true. According to history, this is a new discovery. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep.
3: I do so. like how there's a lot of history of they're like, yeah, we don't know anything about anything that Discovery did. We didn't know about this spore drive. We didn't know about this. We didn't know about that. It's like, right? Yep yeah, that that's what happens when you have to keep secrets at Starfleet. Yeah. Although I would think that would be the thing that
0: you down from C&C to C&C. Yeah. Although that makes me wonder, now jumping to the second one, Unification Three. If the existence which of Spock's should. if the existence of Spock's sister is supposed to be a secret, which is how they explain why he never mentions them in TOS ever, mentions Michael. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that all of Vulcan kept that secret? Because <laughs> they're all like Michael Burnham has returned. They're all like Oh yeah, Spock's sister. Spock's adopted sister.
2: Wait, who was What? What is the
1: secret here?
3: So at the end of uh, the second season of Discovery, Starfleet um, essentially redacted everything about Discovery's spore drive. Uh, the majority of what Discovery did and the existence of some of the crew, including Michael Burnham.
2: Right. Oh, gotcha. Um, but th- like-
3: that's only Starfleet. That doesn't, like, the Klingons know exactly how they got beaten during the war. I guess that's, tr- exactly yeah, that's, that's true. They know who killed like, Takuma. <laughs> and that's started. Right, uh- the- Klingon Federation right. war um, and
2: there's of course all
1: this
2: and there's the, there's whatever Starfleet service anybody who ended up on the Discovery did for however many years prior to that. That's a that's a good question. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't remember the exact wording of of this whole sort of cover cover up regarding the Discovery, but uh, it seems to me like the the most common thing to do is like build a stopping point for anybody because you can't you can't erase everybody's entire history unless you will everyone who knew them. right um
1: right. so
2: i would have pictured it as just being like a oh and then and then they left starfleet we don't know what happened after that
0: yep right yeah and it's i mean it really doesn't have any serious impact it's one of those it's what they call like the refrigerator logic, which is what pops in your head after the show's over and you're looking for a snack. You go, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing. Yeah, for. did
2: think about that one.
0: Yeah. That's actually in screenwriting class. I was actually taught that they're like, if it's a minor plot point that doesn't hurt the story, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Or like it's refrigerator logic, just power through, move on.
3: <laughs> it's much the same logic behind, uh the surprise guest of, of Unification 3, uh, Burnham's mother, being right. a member of the Quatmalat.
1: Yeah.
3: Where everything that we have learned so far about the Quatmalat is that th- why would they take in a random human woman?
0: Right. <laughs>
3: um, yeah. The only precedent being is they once upon a time took in an orphaned male child and taught him their ways, even though he was not considered
0: to be a Quatmalat.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: But he was Romulan, right? Yeah. He was Romulan. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I kind of get the impression that, I mean, isn't one of their actual tenets is um, lost causes?
3: Yes. They, they must follow so, themselves to a lost
0: cause. Yeah, so maybe, you know, they meet Michael's mom and she's a wreck because, you know, of everything that happened. And they're like, well, stay with us. You'll get better. We will heal you. We'll help you. And then, you know, she finds balance in their order. And they're like, all right, well, you've earned your right. You can do it. I could kind of see them being that way.
3: Yeah. Uh, I don't don't think it's implausible that it happened that way. Um, It just the sake of the episode it was very convenient yes because you yes. needed like you needed a, a, the Quatmalats to be there to be the voice of candor and where they've been going with Michael Burnham this entire season there was literally only one person in the universe that could set her back on a path and that's her mom
0: Oh, am I glad that happened too now I feel like we're going to get actual growth out of Michael again which is nice Which because is, she had to be honest just, with herself. Yeah,
2: I think it, just... it was a. Go ahead, cable. No, go ahead. I was say I think it's a. I, I think it made a lot of sense for the arc that she's been going through. She's she's been very unsure about where to be, what her what her place is, and you know how to reconcile her previous life in the past with Starfleet and the the new life that she had been building for herself in the future Mm -hmm. and just like she was just super super full of uncertainty and sometimes you kind of you kind of have to get pushed off of a cliff in order to to know what you really want and kind of like the more extreme version of like you can't decide you flip a coin as soon as the coin hits the air you know what you want the answer to be um, mm. But with all of your emotions laid bare in front of an entire Vulcan council,
3: yeah, and Romulans, and Romulans, yeah. <laughs> yes,
2: and Romulans, yeah, and you know, like half your Starfleet uh, ships crew, um, it's, and I, I, I really, to I, her, her facial expressions, her reactions were so like perfect in that moment of like. She's supposed to be helping me. This like sort of shock and betrayal, but then coming out on the other end, going okay, well, I didn't appreciate it, but I I see what you did there and why.
1: Mm-hmm. So thanks. Yeah.
0: I do like in that that leading up to that scene when they're asking about how come, um, why did Vulcan leave the Federation and was it the Romulans? I liked it when the admiral said, "No, the Romulans wanted." to share. The Romulans wanted to stay. It was the Vulcans that pushed for it, which may be kind of like this nerdy meta thing. I, I kind of like that because that tells me that in the long run, Picard's mission to help the Romulan people is ultimately a success. If that means at one time they're like, no, it took us hundred years to get here, but the Federation actually, we think we can trust them. They did take us in. It was rocky and it was ugly, but they did give us a chance. So maybe we should share this. Maybe we shouldn't withhold this information, no matter how nervous it makes our Vulcan cousins. And again, that's just me writing, you know, the history in my head, but there's a certain, there's, to lack of a term, there's some logic to that. <laughs> um, and that one Vulcan has very much shades of calling back to Enterprise, that whole Vulcan purity thing. Yeah, that was that was yeah. weird. That does seem to be a default thing whenever they want to show an issue with the Vulcans. It's like, well, let's turn on that xenophobia. Iso- well, not mm-hmm. even xenophobia, isolationism. Yeah, yeah, that's a better uh, better term yeah. for
2: it. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something I was thinking about after I rewatched the episodes. Is that's another one of the themes that has really been prevalent in uh, in this season is. All the different, because of the burn, a lot of groups have really sort of like gone inward and become a lot more um, insular. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, initially it was by, by, you know, like without choice, you can't you can't travel from world to world, so you can't interact with as many different groups. And then, you know, like essentially, I think what they're getting at with the, for the season is like. This is how you become a national
0: socialist.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, it's it's playing that thing. Like whenever there's a massive, and history shows us too, whenever there's a massive natural disaster or something that's even humanity created, I think as a rule, humans do one of two things. They either really band together under a sense of common goal of we're all in this, or they become tribal as hell. And they just mm-hmm. build up even thicker walls against more Perceived enemies. And, you know, whether, whatever people's views are of the Federation as a political entity, it did maintain this rather massive and, from all intents, on the surface, peaceful gathering of people and maintained a relatively good peace. And, oh shit, something took that all away? Uh, What do we do?
3: In one day? In a moment? Hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah,
0: well, yeah, it, the whole thing of, like, if that could happen to the mighty Federation, what's our little... What's what's little old Earth gonna do? What's little old Vulcan gonna do? What's Andor... Uh, you know, kind of yeah. thing.
1: Right. And this is
3: after they have weathered um, multiple attacks from the Borg, from the Dominion. Um, these were all threats that they saw coming.
0: Yeah. And who knows that what all... they've dealt with in 900 years between... Shows. I'm sure there were other, you know, who, the Great Q War, the Invasion of the Doomsday Machines. I'm sure there was a bunch of shit that they went through, you know.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, but those were all threats that they saw coming, and the indication, all indications, point to the fact that nobody saw the burn coming. So yeah. whatever it was, it was a century ago, and nobody saw the attack coming, and clearly there was definitely, they're moving the direction of, this was deliberate, this was an attack, it has an origin point. Someone mm-hmm. did this. It right. starts to get into that same territory that uh, Attack on Titan and Pacific Ring get into, where it's like, oh, there are these giant things, there are these monsters that are always attacking us, we have to figure out how to do this. It's like, hang on, how about, w- let's go back to where are these things coming from? Who has a giant monster gun pointed at us? And right. why? <laughs> but you don't right. get to ask those questions if you're constantly just fighting off the monsters. Right. We've got a jump tower the, here really quick.
2: That's the classic chain of events, right? There's like you hit a Okay. Oh, so it's, what is it? It's, no. you, you hit a, a patch of uncertainty. Uncertainty leads to fear, which leads to anger, which leads to aggression.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Damn, that'd be yeah, a that good segue if I wasn't about to bring up legs. one more thing. Damn it. <laughs> oh, but really quick,
0: Norm brought up something. He read in a review. I don't know if it was io9 or not, about how Unification 3, its theme is all about code switching and how a lot of like, people of color really resonated with that episode, because at one moment, Michael is expected to be the perfect representation of the Federation. Uh, but then she has to remind the Vulcans, I like, know, no, I'm one of you too. I was raised on Vulcan. And then it's, well, no, but I'm also human. It's the whole, it's the whole thing when you're, especially if you're a person of color or if you're of a like sexual minority, it's a, um, I have to present myself to be accepted in the quote real world, but I'm also this too. And if I'm this too much, then these ones won't like me anymore. But if I go hard too far this way, then I'll be thinking that I'll be treated as like a cultural traitor against this way. There's a lot of that. in that episode. so, so yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I hadn't even really thought about that, but yep.
0: Yeah.
3: I have one thing that I promised I was going to do before we switched to Mando. And that is um, off air, the three of us discussed this topic and Aaron and I had very, well thought out and we could back it up with the uh, information and experience and uh, uh, on one side of this and denise had another opinion on the other side based on just viewing what was going on and i need to say this very clearly denise was right and aaron and i were wrong tilly became the first officer
1: <laughs> yeah
3: Denise was one hundred percent right. Well, we were watching. Yeah, well, we were watching the episode, uh, I, and that happened. I looked at America. I'm like, I didn't see that coming. And she just kind of looked at me. I'm like, they've been telegraphing it the entire season. How did you not see it coming? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, because of Starfleet, and they do this, and this, and this. Is like, yeah, this is where your experience with Star Trek is wrong.
1: <laughs>
3: they're trying to tell a different story. Just pay attention to the story they're telling. I'm like, oh man. Denise said yeah. the same thing. Denise was right.
0: <laughs> I get all that, too, and I actually agree. But it, I would like mm-hmm. them to promote her, at least. Like, Baker. Yes. He's earned that. Come on. I I
3: think that like there are... Uh, when you look at it from the standpoint of, this is the story they're telling, it's like, oh, yeah. It, it doesn't make sense from a, what we know about Starfleet, but what we have seen the crew of Discovery go through... That is the only choice Saru could make to help heal his crew, and he is still actively trying to do that.
2: And right. even just if we're talking about like a structural thing, they ha- they may have that exact argument on scene on screen.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: She says there are so many people who are way more experienced than I am and are higher ranking than I am. And I would be in charge, like like, people's lives would be in my hands and I didn't finish the training. And you know, it's just so many reasons why it shouldn't be her. And Saru is like the things that you have been through aren't in the book, which is something she said uh, when they first arrived at Starfleet is like, none of this was in the book. We had to figure it out on our own. And that is what qualifies her to be uh, the number one, even if she doesn't think that on paper she belongs there.
1: hmm Yeah. No, I get
0: I get all of that. I do want them to promote yep. her.
2: And I, I I would venture to say <laughs> that's, that's a feeling that a lot of women go through.
0: Right. I Which did get into an argument is with why someone. I, think it's validating. I did okay. get in an argument with someone online that said that it was it's wrong that they're just like it's never happened, but the one thing I got in it was somebody and they I shut them down really quickly because they were just aggro about Tilly. Um that it it never in the history of Star Trek has someone ever been given that much responsibility without ever having gone through Starfleet's command training program. And I was like, you're right, you know, except for, you know, Captain Spock. He flat out says he never went through it, that, you know, in Wrath of Khan, one of his last lines, never did the Kobayashi Maru, which is basically the final test of the Starfleet command training program. Mm Mm-hmm. That kind of knowing scenario, and he tells Kirk, "What do you think of myself?" <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. So no, except your beloved Captain Spock didn't go through it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good and I, I got a lot of like.
3: Should shut it, up! It, like... Shut that one down.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, it was fun. <laughs> good job.
0: Thanks. You Who know right. else is doing a good job? This is a really great spot to talk about our sponsors. First up, Guardian Games. They have been our longest sponsor. You can find them over at 345 Southeast southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. Um, yeah, like I said, like, you know, a couple weeks ago, we're all going to be in for the long haul here. So it will be nice to have some ways to pass the time while you're inside with your, friendly, your family or your close circle roommates or whatever you have. So, pop on over to Guardian Games. They have all kinds of games that could help you pass the time. From RPGs and role playing games to miniatures and dice games and card games. They, they really have it all. Uh, they also have a huge collection of puzzles which become more popular than ever. So, if you enjoy just kind of relaxing, passing the time by building a piece of artwork one wee piece at a time, check out Guardian Games. This is also a good time to remind you that you can get gift certificates. If you've got gamers in your life and you're not sure what they like, well then let them pick what they like and pick up a gift certificate to Guardian Games. That also helps, I mean, in general businesses right now, uh, since they're not getting as many shoppers as they usually would, a gift certificate goes a long way to helping them out. So check them out, 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon, or at GuardianGames.com. Either way, thank them for being a sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. And then next up, of course, our friends at Bridge City Comics. They are one of the city's best comic book shops out there. Check them out over at 3725 North Mississippi Avenue. They have just expanded their hours a little bit more. So they have a bit more time for you to peruse the shelves, pick up your favorite comics or graphic novels. Uh, As always, you know, wear a mask. They're not even going to let you in if you don't have one, because you should be. Um, Yeah, and if they don't have what you're looking for in terms of comics, chances are if it's still in print, they can order it for you. So they do have a special order program. And just like every other business right now, a gift certificate goes a long way to helping Bridge City Comics out. It helps kind of keep some more of the lights on a little bit longer, and, you know, that way, in a few months, you know, if you're like, oh, I want to get a book, but I don't have a lot, I'm like, oh, surprise, I have a gift certificate. It's also a great way to, you know, get your comic reading friend a gift, or probably family member, but you're not quite sure what they're into. That way, they have a whole selection. There you go. It's the best way to do it. I know gift certificates aren't the flashiest of gifts, but, um, you know, we can do without a lot of surprises right now. Let's just, everybody just give gifts and envelopes. Like, here you go. It's there's a, there's some envelopes for you. There's stuff in it, kid. Have fun. <laughs> you can do all that at BridgeCityComics.com or at 3725 North Mississippi Avenue. And when you do that, give them a big ol' thanks for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. And then last but not least, a shout-out to RevNats of Revernet's Hard Cider for securing us with some equipment so we can keep recording during the lock-in. Uh, We didn't use any of it this week because we were all in weird spots and weird mics, and it sounds like it. Now you know what it sounds like when we don't have the equipment loaned to us from RevNat. You get all skittery and jumpy and sketchy. So, big thanks to RevNat for hooking us up. The official lubricant (laughs) of the apocalypse. RevNat. Yeah. Let's get back to the show.
3: I just really like the music on Mando. <laughs> so uh,
2: good. That's really
3: good. So we'll start with The Siege, which was not last week's episode, but the week before, Ooh. which was directed by and starring Carl Weathers.
0: That's right, man. You know he took his yeah. per diem for being a director, saved it all up, bought some food, and babe you got a stew on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> no, that was really cool to see. It I was I don't know if he's ever directed anything else before. I'm sure he's done smaller projects, but
3: I uh, I think this was his his big dick directorial debut. I think so. There, there's a way to find out. I know, I'm looking There's, it up. Can, I can look at director Carl I'm like halfway Reathers, there,
2: if things would load. All filmography.
3: I
1: know. Come on.
3: Oh, no, wait. Producers. And, <laughs> and you're all like. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he has 13 director credits to his name. Looks like they were all television. That's cool. He's directed an episode of Hawaii Five O. Uh, he's directed an episode of Sheena. Yeah,
0: that's
3: awesome. Um, Silk stockings, renegade. There
0: you go. Oh, so he's cut his teeth on oh, some yeah. journeyman TV kind of work. Mm-hmm. That's cool. <clears throat>
3: um, I've. So this was a nice return to Navarre and two characters, that three characters, really, that we were already familiar <laughs> with.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, To kind of get more of what was going on on Navarre and what was going on surrounding the child. Yes. I, I think the big reveal that we it and other people about um, was... Yep. Yeah. Oh, are you guys still getting lag on me? When
2: yeah, I sorry.
3: Okay. That's alright.
0: Super laggy.
2: I'm gonna do this. This tends to help. That's true. But I'm still here. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, so you said the, the big thing was what, Cable? The
3: the big thing was returning to Navarre and discovering that there was more behind the plot surrounding the child. And what the, uh, the client and ultimately Muff Gideon wanted from the child.
2: Right. Yes. Um, and so I, I actually can't remember why, um, and now I'm going to blank on his name. Um, Carl Weathers, why Carl Weathers wanted to go grief. to that grief target. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember why he wanted to go there. Um,
3: so he and Cardoon had set up a fairly good uh, provisional government over the yeah. their area of Navarre. What they had discovered was there was still a remaining a single remaining outpost of imperial holdouts, and they figured if they could destroy that, then all, all imperial uh, Control would be gone from their planet, and they could go back to self-management, which is what they felt they had during the old Republic, and that they wanted from the New Republic as well. It's like we we don't want to we don't want to be part of the New Republic. We don't want to be part of the Empire. We just want to be.
0: Yeah, well, that's the, yeah. that's the classic Outer Rim attitude, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also implied that they want all that because he thinks is an Imperial ammo depot. So he also wants it all gone because that's like a beacon to every merc and pirate in the quadrant. And he's like, Yep. They'll come here and they'll tell this place apart taking guns.
3: Yep. But if we just blow it all up,
0: yeah. Then
3: <laughs> none of us have to worry about it.
1: Yeah.
2: Right, right.
3: Which is easy to do since it's powered by a volcano.
0: Gotta love the Empire.
3: Oh. So. Yep.
0: They heard nothing. if not flashy. Of <laughs> and do not yes. believe in handrails classic nope. empire architecture
3: <laughs> why? why why would you have a handrail it's fine you just lean into it it's fine
0: it's just stormtroopers anyway
3: <laughs> but it is where we get the uh, the knowledge that apparently there was it was not just an outpost it was a laboratory mm-hmm. and they were clearly using the child's blood what little they got to add to test subjects for reasons unknown.
2: Right. Um, they, yeah, so they, they did something that was a little bit risky, I think, in this, in this day and age um, when it comes to talking about Star Wars and that's uh, referencing, even if only, you know, just barely brushing past the midichlorian thing. Um, I feel like at this point I kind of don't care about it. But I know that, you know, when the midichlorian concept was first introduced, it really made a lot of people mad. Um, whether because they thought it was stupid or because it kind of takes away from just, like, the magical aspect of the Force and, and you know, being a Jedi. Um, I don't know. Did you guys have feelings about that?
3: I've never felt negatively about Midichlorians. Um I don't see how seeing that... Beings with a high metachlorine count makes them any any more or less magical, because it's still fascinating that it's like oh the force can be manipulated by people with um, a certain level of metachlorines in their blood. Cool, that still covers across hundreds of unrelated races. Yeah, like how is that not magic?
0: Right. I just, when I heard because of, of the M count, I all I thought was like, look at you, John Favreau, just being like, you know what? Fuck it. You guys may not like it, but midichlorians are canon. Die angry. I'm going to play with them. <laughs> <laughs> and Filoni has never begrudged the concept. So, you know, he's going to be like, yeah, I'm good with it. Let's do it.
2: That's fine, whatever, yeah, I think that's I, I I think that is maybe what they did where they're like, you know what, no one has to like the concept of metachlor- metachlorians, but it is canon it is it's been established that this is what what gives you that force sensitivity so yeah. so so there you go, yeah, although in the next episode, um they kind of they kind of go back to referencing it in a less scientific and more. Uh, mystical way by saying, you know, oh, his power. I mean, are you mean you're talking about his the baby's powers? Well, no, I'm talking about the force. The force is what allows him to have those powers.
1: Hmm.
3: Hmm. Are we? shall we just jump right to the other episode then?
2: Yeah. We don't I mean, have to. I just thought it was interesting the way they kind of they looked at it from both angles.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we could anyway because for as much fun as the last week's was, it. It doesn't really move the story along other than that last five minutes with Gideon. Like, that's the... That's the, right. oh, shit. And it's not to say I didn't right.
2: the whole it. episode was to get to that.
3: And, yeah. and puts my my personal favorite, Kitty O'Brien, in the Star Wars universe. I was so thrilled about that. I
0: know, that's cool.
3: That was the one that I wanted to be Batwoman so badly. She still wanted to be Batwoman. Anyway. Uh, she looked mean. Yeah, she... She played a villain in Black Lightning, and now she's playing a villain in in Star Wars. It's like, okay, I'm
0: I'm good with this. What's funny? She, she looks. She's got a good like. I will fuck you up. Look, I I know it's not her. She looks a lot like the primary Imperial villain in Star Wars Squadrons, uh, which takes place even later than it. It's kind of interesting. She looks. It's not her. It's a different name. But mm. very similar, like, in attitudes, too, of, like, I'm going to make this... That whole attitude of, like, I refuse to call them the New Republic. They are still rebels. Like, that attitude of, like, no. You know.
3: They're so... still rebel scum.
0: Yeah, totally. 100%. Right. Um... But, yeah, I think, jumping into the next episode, The Jedi, is that's... I mean, ever since we this knew is about the, the one casting... one that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. I mean, ever since they announced the casting, you know, we're all like, oh, man, we're going to see a live Ahsoka. Oh, boy, kind of thing. So.
3: I have to admit that after no mention of her in last week's episode, I'm like, oh, man, we're we're really not going to get Ahsoka until the end of the series. It was just going to be tease, tease, tease. And then it just went straight from tease to, and here's Ahsoka. Mm. It's like, yeah. I, oh shit.
2: <laughs> I was not ready for her to be in the very first scene.
3: I was not ready to watch a live action episode of the Clone Wars. <laughs> right? Because that's what that was. Uh, like an episode of the Clone an episode of the Clone Wars that was based very clearly on the entire body of work by Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. That was that was an amazing amazing episode.
0: I mean, I and I kind of figured I, we'd get her right off the bat definitely. when I saw that. Ugh, <laughs> oh, the
1: damn say When
0: I found out that Filoni was writing and directing it, and I'm like, oh, he's not going to bury the lead. This is, this, is, this is literally his baby. You
1: know? <laughs> you know.
2: And I'm sure he's been wanting to, you know, throw that out there for a while, and it's probably torture to have to just, like, keep pushing it back to establish other concepts and, you know, plot lines before you can finally bring her in and, and just bringing to fruition this character that he spent so many years working on and developing and, and basically growing up with, I mean, Mm -hmm. not him growing up with it, but you get to see her grow up from what the age of 14.
1: Mm -hmm. And now Mm -hmm. she's
2: a 40 something ish woman who's had a very complicated past. You know, she used to look at the world in a very black and white manner. And, you know, she trusted the people around her. And and after everything that happens throughout the course of Clone Wars and, and some of the stuff in Rebels, you know, and then whatever else we don't even know about, um, she's just, uh, she has become a very different woman in some ways.
3: All of this is
1: true. Yeah,
2: <laughs> the the thing that I had a hard time with is, and I, I talked to Aaron about this a little bit, um, but I don't think I did a very good job of sort of explaining my feelings on it. Is I was a little bit disappointed when when she says that she can't train uh, Grogu. Oh
1: yeah, that's right. That's the other big his thing.
2: <laughs> emotional attachments. Yeah, um, and I. I was a little bit disappointed because I think that she has taken the wrong lesson from the things that she saw happen with Anakin. It's still sort of the same Jedi order way of thinking of things is like emotional attachments are bad. And if you have them, it's only going to end poorly for the person being trained. Whereas I, I think that the correct way of looking at it is basically Jedis, you you know the the order asks their trainees to be very monk like, and and celibate in their their entire way of life in order to successfully be the right kind of Jedi, and that's an impossible thing to ask of of a living creature who has emotions and you know different. Everyone's got a family, and just because you take someone away from that family at an early age does not. Prevent an attachment from existing or forming further, even if you are separated from them. And instead, she still looks at it. Um, she still looks at it the same way, and like, oh, can't work with you. You've got a, you've got attachments instead of recognizing maybe that's the wrong methodology and why it went wrong for Akin and others.
3: So. I'm of two minds on this. Uh, One is that this is an adage that people who have watched the movies are familiar with as far as the Jedi. And if you are considering that your viewers for the Mandalorian are people who have just watched the movies or that there's a, a segment of your audience that has just watched the movies, that is a reasoning that they can identify with because this is their introduction to Ahsoka Tano. They don't know who she is at all. Um, The other side of that is for those of us who have watched the Clone Wars and Rebels and know who Ahsoka Tano is, it's not, we can, you can add to the stack of she she's using the adage that of, I can't train this person to be a Jedi because of their attachments. It's not that I can't train this person because of their attachments. It's I can't train this person because of their attachments. I am incapable of doing it because I know what that leads to. I have watched that happen with my own master. I have seen the destruction of Cain and Jairus and we still don't know the, um, the outcome of what happened to Ezra Bridger. Yeah. So she's carrying the weight of those Jedi and those deaths or possible deaths and knows that it's like, I'm, I'm not ready. I am not. It's like, I might in another 10 years, I could probably train someone, but right now, no, I am still going through the trauma of that. So recognizes I can't do this, not I don't want to do this.
2: Okay. And I didn't consider those parts of it. I haven't finished rebels. So um, I haven't really unpacked. Oh no, that's okay. I'll be fine. Um, It just means I didn't, I haven't unpacked as many of her experiences as Mm -hmm. you have. And it is easier to process it that way. Like I personally do not have the right qualifications or experience in teaching others in order to teach them what they're going to need because of where they're coming from.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: I, I very simply looked at it as a, uh, I think that you did not learn the right lessons about what happened to Anakin and why the why being the, part that I was really hung up on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you really get a lot of that weight she carries in her rebels episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you really feel it there. Uh, especially the, the fight. Not even a not even a long scene, but it's emotionally devastating. <laughs> so I,
2: I um, do think I, I think I know the fight you're talking about, and yes, it's yeah, it's sort of like the last nail in the coffin, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Oh my god! Someone fucking. It's not the best artwork, but someone did this four-panel comic. That means that, like, that that's possible. That means Ahsoka and Luke could meet one day. Mm -hmm. And someone wrote this four panel comic where she sees Luke and she says, if you'd only known your father, like I did, if you'd only known Anakin, you only knew Darth Vader. If you only knew what he used to be like. And in the panel, he says, no, I did. In his last moments, I saw Anakin and it's flashing to him. Like, and he's like, tell your sister you were right about me. And then the panel cuts back to Ahsoka and she's just, Like, all of it, all the pain comes out. He came back. He came back. It's that. And I'm like, oh, my God, if they actually film anything even resembling that, I'm going to be a wreck. Um,
1: Which Which they could.
0: (laughs) So we talked about this after we watched it again. There are a few Jedi's hanging around right now. Some that we Mm -hmm. know of and some that we clearly don't. And part of me is like, you know what, make it somebody we've never met before. Because the Mandalorian was all about expanding the universe and now it's kind of, it's doing, you know. But another part of me is like, he, like, Luke could sense Grogu. The the timeline the Mandalorian takes place in, he's just now starting to rebuild the Jedi. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, this is the time period where he's, you know, really, he's really training. He's helping Leia. Like, this is that time period when he's like, look, if you want to learn to be better at this, I'll teach you. Like, let's, if you want to, I'll do it. And we know that he does because we have those scenes in Rise of Skywalker. I don't, I don't know if they are, um... And again, I'd be of two minds. Part of me would just lose it, and another part of me is like, "Ah, eh, that makes the universe even smaller now. So, I don't know.
3: Yeah, the, the goal seems to be we want to get the Skywalkers out of this if we absolutely can.
0: It's the most awkward freeze of
3: this image right this now. Just... Oh, no. I'm sorry, Denise. I'm sorry. She's probably talking to us, too. I know. Um... I do th- I do think that uh... She's back. <laughs> oh, she's in prison. Yay.
2: I can hear you guys the whole time. But uh, <laughs> I guess you got- but none of you guys got to see all the weird faces I made.
0: No, we just we saw got the- to see the- one the for awkward one extended period of time. <laughs> yeah. It was like Frodo getting that D. Oh Um <laughs> <Russ.
2: Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, but so what you guys were saying before I froze um, it does bring me into something that I've been thinking about with um, with both of these star shows. Uh, be fr- due to the last couple weeks of material that we've been getting, is I saw someone on, online tweeting, I assume, about how they they don't. I think they they expect that Ahsoka is going to be a continuing character from here on out. Mm. And then it's going to just be like more rebels basically, or more clone wars and um, how they're kind of cool with that. Um, And I have to say, I don't think that I am as much as it sucks to to me. I I really hate to part with a character I really love, but I think that both of these shows are, are wanting to, to sprinkle in enough of the existing characters that we know from, you know, from throughout the franchises to keep it in universe and sort of like, you know, do a little, a little bonding there. Mm -hmm. But, but ultimately these are supposed to be new stories about new people. And I don't think that either of these shows are overdoing it with, with, with bringing in existing characters
0: Yeah, I, so I actually don't think we're going to get Ahsoka anymore this season. Mm-hmm. Um, we might get a hint about getting the gang back together for a season three, but I, my gut tells me this was the one and done with her for now, for this season. Um, and, I'm, and I'm actually okay with that. As much as I love her, it, from a storyline, it makes sense. Because it stops becoming the Mandalorian if Ahsoka become By default, Ahsoka is not a backup character. No. And it oh stops but, being she's not, you know.
2: And this isn't a show about force users. Yeah. I mean, just the one. But it's not about... Yeah, but, it's Well, I guess it is a little bit about how he's a force user, but... but he's a wee
0: baby that gets sick from eating space macaroons on a space ride.
2: Bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: I also don't think that we're... If we get Ahsoka in this season of Mandalorian it will be brief um what I do know is there is the other Disney Greenland another TV show at the beginning of the year that is supposed to be a show that has that's female led and is uh the showrunner is the uh creator and director of Russian Doll for Netflix
1: ooh
3: and that's why I think they, they, uh, cast Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka Tano for The Mandalorian so that she can be the lead of this other show, along with, you know, Katie Sackhoff as Bo and Sasha Banks as not Sabine Wren. Um. <laughs> or- uh-
0: No, they they confirmed what the female that show is. Oh, did they? It's Dr. Afra. Who is it? Dr. Afra.
2: Oh, shit.
0: They could, like, like months ago. That's going to make some people pretty excited. Because he even tweeted, he's like, I've had to keep quiet about this for months. Who
3: who tweeted about this?
0: Uh, The writer. Uh, What's his name? The guy who created Dr. Afra.
3: Karen Gillan,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Alyssa Wong is the one writing as adapting Doctor Aphra into a Disney Plus series. That hang on a second. It's actually on the actual Star Wars site, like the.
3: No, yeah. I, I I believe you about the Doctor Aphra one, but it's the.
0: I think we
3: might be talking about two different things, though.
0: Yeah. Oh shit! And we're going to the planet that she led Vader on in her own series.
3: Oh, because she has family
0: that are rebels on Hoth, and she flat out lies to him and says, "Yeah, no, this is the ice planet that they were at before they find Hoth." All
2: right,
1: and now we're all quiet here.
2: Right away. I want to spend the rest of the show talking about the internet. <laughs>
3: um, the person I'm talking about is uh, Leslie Headland. Who's that? She's the the showrunner of Russian Doll. Oh, okay. From Netflix, her show is not Doctor Aphra. And is so then there's then there's two. Yes.
0: Okay. Ah, cool.
3: So that that's the one that I think that's where so- okay is going to end up.
0: I can see that. Look, Disney Plus is the only thing that's making that company money. Although
3: right she now. could also so- <laughs> star on she could on Dr. Afford too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, and Star Wars mo- shows are right there at the front for Disney Plus.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I just lost my train of thought on that. Um, <laughs> oh, and you know, we didn't bring up the other like 500 pound gorilla mentioned that episode. Like, uh, Thrawn is Thrawn's back, baby. Or at least the shadow. Like, Ahsoka thinks he's out. Well, no, he's out there then somewhere. Which means if, Ezra's back somehow, or not, I guess.
3: See, and, and that's the trick, is I... We don't know the... We don't know. We don't know about Ezra because just because Thrawn is clearly around... <laughs> are you getting attacked by a treble? Someone came in here and
0: took beer from me.
3: Oh. It's fine. That's all. Brute. Um, but just because we know now that Thrawn survives the end of Rebels that doesn't give us an indication of what happened to
0: Ezra. Yeah, no, right, yeah. No, I, 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 I do that think
3: that uh, Ezra Bridger has the two-to-one favorite odds of being the
0: Jedi that reaches out to baby Grogu. Makes sense.
1: Like, well, I feel like they're going to want to have a
0: new trilogy one day. hmm And they've said they want it to
1: move, well,
0: no, that doesn't make they said they wanted to move forward. They're, they don't want to do it in the past, but also it's like, but we're done with the. I don't know. I'm just spitballing this one. I don't know. Who knows how? Who knows how long Thrawn's race the Chiss actually live? I don't know what their longevity is, but. Um, I don't know. But uh, something that was pointed out. To, something was pointed out to me today, and then I had to look up to verify. So the two assassin droids on the 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 on this episode. The, the HKs. Yeah, they have on the side of their head. They have the emblem of of the Seventh Fleet, Thrawn's Fleet. So those are Thrawn's um, assassin droids. Okay. Yeah. No. So so that means that we might see the Chimera. Oh. <sighs> yes.
3: <laughs> or what's left of it.
0: Or what's left? Of, well, he might have fixed it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So I have a
2: very finite amount of time to finish Rebels in.
0: Yes. Yes, you do. You have yes, a very you do. finite amount of time. In fact, I would try to finish it before next week, before Friday. How many episodes do you have left?
2: Exactly. Um, I was at least halfway through season three. I believe there's four seasons.
3: Yes, there are four seasons.
0: But season four is yes, kind are.
2: of short. Is it shorter? Yep.
0: It yeah, it's, a, it's a truncated season. Right, right, right. Uh, watch there is. A, I, oh, go ahead.
2: I, was, I, I kind of fell off the the wagon, and um, it's been a while since I've watched any Rebels. That's why I'm not already done with it when I should have been because I was really blasting through it. Um, so I might double back to the beginning of season three, even maybe only just to rewatch the Thrawn related episodes, and then mm-hmm. move forward from where I left off. That's
3: fair.
0: Right.
3: Uh, the one thing that I wanted to give a nod to. Um, was the character Morgan Elspeth?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, that is that actress's name is uh, Robin Lee Insanto. Uh,
1: yeah, she is up. the
3: daughter of Don Insanto, who is a Hollywood martial arts expert. Her godfather was Bruce yeah. Lee. Yeah. I learned all of this from another podcast that's called all the Asians on star Trek, where she did an interview weeks ago and she talked, she hinted at during that episode going, Oh yeah. And there's this other thing that I can't talk to you about yet, but it's going to be great when, when, when it's out, I'll I'll talk to you more about it. And her appearance in this episode of Mandalorian was what she was referencing.
1: Yeah. I,
0: when I watched it the very first time when she has the fight with Ahsoka, I saw, mm-hmm. this was such a wanky thing for me, I saw the way she was holding the spear on the top mm-hmm. with just, in like, in the palm but not clenched. I'm like, and I actually said, like, oh, man, someone taught this actor like how you properly hold the spear or a staff if you're doing a fight. I was like, that's really cool. And then when it wrapped up, I'm like, well, I want to look her up then. I want to see what else she's done. And I read, like, wait, that's her dad? Oh shit! And I was like, oh, that means Bruce Lee. And it's like, the goddaughter, Bruce Lee? I'm like, oh, yeah, no one on set taught her how to do that. I think she helped choreograph that fight. Nobody. Yes, she did. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, this makes that fight even cooler now.
3: (laughs) Right? Yeah. Like, as soon as it came on screen, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a boss fight. I mean, it's literally going to be a boss fight.
0: (laughs) And I love it when they're Uh, not hyper fast. It's just the... I love it when these fights oh, yeah. are like half footwork of this, them just sizing each other up. I'm like, oh, it's so good.
3: And I bet people were expecting, oh, it's going to be this big flashy thing. I'm like, no, it's not. It's going to be slow. It's going to be like eight or eight or nine moves and then
0: someone's going to lose. Yeah, like the hits are going to be savage, but you're not going to see flashy flipping around Jedi with this fight. That's not what it's going to be.
2: The scenery tells you that because it's, yeah. it's a beautiful place to have a fight.
0: And again, oh, that gets into this is a Kurosawa fight. Yeah, and also like she had flashy moods in the Clone Wars and Rebels, but as a rule, Ahsoka kind of fights the way Anakin trained her, and they're very much a face-off. Not going to jump around. I'm not going to fucking do four shit. We're gonna we're gonna fight, and you that's
1: kind of her always.
0: And move yeah. on. And then a quick shout out also to fucking Shawn, uh, Michael Bean. Johnny Ringo, uh-huh. um, he didn't have the huge part, but I did love his line when he had that whole thing. He's like, "Your, your side might win, my side might lose. Guess we just don't know." And then at the very end, sounds like my side lost. And he's supposed to put. It was just. It was that. It was that great gunslinger. It was. It was cool that this movie gave us both a great classic samurai homage and also on literally other side of the wall the gunslinger movie i'm like ah oh, so cool
1: mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah i appreciated that they intercut that fight with that scene with the two of uh, mando and um uh, beans character just outside the wall hearing the fight it's like yeah like we didn't need to see the entire fight nope. we saw what we needed to see we needed to also see what was going on outside like, yeah, you're right. It it was a great Eastern movie and Western movie.
0: Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, it was a nice little touch. That's
2: a really good way of putting that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm harkening that
3: back to Bruce Lee and Kung Fu. It's an Eastern but a Western.
0: Oh, it totally it's a Western,
3: absolutely. Yeah, it's a Western but an Eastern.
0: Um, and then shout out to the Mandalorian having legit, like, proud father moments when Grogu takes the takes the controller, not. He's like, good, that's a good, it's, it's, I kept waiting, like, who's a good boy? Like, that's basically, you know. <laughs> and also, um, fucking shout out to him, that line at the end when he's like, you need to go back, it's time for you to go. Like, Pedro Pascal put just a slight, like, choke in his voice man is like oh, Mando's not gonna cry you know it was nice it was very subtle yep. and very well done
2: and then and then he sits with him for what we assume is like at least a half hour just just quietly holding my baby
0: mm-hmm. yeah until ahsoka shows up and says no go like I wasn't kidding <laughs> go <Why now?
1: laughs>
0: so all in all too very it was a it's a strong week for for our star shows. Yes, it was. Yeah, so. Yeah. Whew. well. I think that's it does a show. make
3: me wonder what's going to bring, <laughs> it, what they're going to bring to the table this week.
0: So, be, well, yeah. about a day after that episode debuted, one of the main like effects people basically tweeted, um, "You think this week was fun? You have you're not ready for the next three weeks." And I'm like, "Oh shit."
2: For which one?
0: Uh, Mandalorian. Mandalorian's only got three left. Trek has like seven left. So,
3: Yep. Trek stretches all the way into 2020, the first week of 2021.
0: Yeah. Um, Great.
3: But I know that, uh, I don't know who's directing the next three episodes of Mando, but I do know that Peyton Reed's name is still in there. So we're going to get a Peyton Reed episode. Why is that name familiar? Yeah. Uh, Ant-Man. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Thank you. Right. So, like, with you saying the effects crew is like, oh, it's going to be big. It's like, yeah, that sounds like a Peyton Reed. Um,
1: Interesting.
3: And then they're they're probably going to finish out with uh, another uh, Filoni and another Favreau
0: probably yeah I would I mean at least I've got to be one more Favreau but maybe Filoni. Um
3: it's either Filoni or another uh, Bryce Dallas Hallard episode which I ain't mad about that either
2: Yeah, I don't think it'll work
3: I'm <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, <laughs> to her first feature film I will buy my ticket Yeah. Wait,
2: is there one in the works?
3: I don't know. What is I, she no, doing? There, There's not. It's just I have okay. enjoyed the two episodes of Mando that she's directed. It's like, yeah, do it, do more. I want to watch it. Right, right. All
2: right. If we have a few minutes, um, we've
1: mm-hmm. been trying to do this mm-hmm. since.
2: I say we've been trying to do this since March. Um, it might be nice if we just even briefly finally do this one segment <laughs> just to get it over like just to get us over that bump sure. um so like i said we've been we, we talked about this earlier in the year and then and then 2020 everything hit and and for one reason or another we haven't come back to it since but um avatar the last airbender Mm-hmm. Uh, so Cable and I have watched the first two episodes. Aaron, I don't actually remember if you've ever seen them or not.
0: Mm-mm. I still haven't yet. All right,
1: sorry. you're fine
2: then. Um, well, sorry, uh, I haven't had a chance to. Well, I guess I should. I should have verified that Cable. Did you get a chance to watch them?
3: Yes, I've I've okay. watched. I think I've watched six episodes at this point. But okay. our our assignment was the first two episodes, which is the introductory arc
2: yeah so this one's been around for a little while i don't think that we necessarily have to like break down the plot of the show as a whole i think anyone who's interested right now has probably already seen it Mm -hmm. um so we cover the first two episodes which is the initial arc introducing the main characters giving you a little bit of insight into what the world is like um
3: and and Soka, is that right? Angkar yeah. and Soka. Okay.
2: Yes. Uh and uh and also the um the Ice Buffalo, what is his name?
1: Uh, Appa. I can't
2: remember. Appa. Yeah, um and so the world is sort of divided up into different tribes that are either earth, air, fire, or water, mm-hmm. and then there is a Avatar who can control all four of the elements. And basically, they just throw it right out there uh, before the end of the first episode, right? Or is it the beginning of the second one?
3: The, he's the Avatar? Yes. Yeah, I think that's the conclusion of the, the first episode, is that he is the Avatar, and that's proven to the, the water tribe that he's found by, uh, mm-hmm. or that Katara and Sokka are part of. Uh, because the second episode is... Um, the prince of the fire nation zuko um realizing that that they found the avatar after his long lifelong search he's like what 16 right um and
2: oh i thought he was younger
0: than that probably
3: i don't know they're all children um, well there's that
0: line in but you're just a kid and yeah and the avatar's like well you're a teenager yeah like Aang is twelve,
2: most I would say. Yeah, yeah. so he's like still he's... very youthful.
3: That's a good. Way. I was gonna go immediately with immature. So yes. <laughs>
2: um, either way,
3: and so we we have the introduction and the reveal with the first episode, and the second episode is post-reveal and the setup of uh, protagonist Antagonist for the rest of presumably the rest of the series. because um, you just think, oh, that's what it's going to be. These people are going to go traveling around the world to try and get to the Air Nation and the Fire Nation is just going to chase them the entire time.
2: Presumably.
3: Uh, yep. Yeah. I, uh, I really didn't like I've tried to watch Avatar The Last Airbender before, and I think I made it about uh, six or
0: seven episodes in before I lost interest. And, That's how I've been with it, and I want to try it. But... Do you?
2: Can you speak to what it is that made you lose interest?
0: It's juvenile.
2: Yes, it definitely has a vibe right off the bat that this is a, a show for kids. Mm-hmm. And I, I am going off of like you know my trust in the people who have recommended it who are adults uh, in in that it is it is a very worthwhile watch but it's
1: yes
3: <laughs> most of the adults that I know that say that not all of them but the great majority of them were all children when they watched the show initially or at least teenagers hmm.
2: that makes me wonder when it even came out because I am usually the youngest person youngest adult i know are close to it and i was pretty sure i was already an adult by the time this came out so that's that's worth exploring
3: i feel like it came out when i was in my 30s 2005 my 30s.
0: so it's been 15 years since i did need-
3: oh it came out the year that this podcast started
2: um uh, technically I was an adult when that came out.
1: I'm as old as Avatar. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I'm definitely gonna you know, I, I definitely still wanna give it a chance, mm-hmm. but I, I hope that um I hope that it's the kind of storytelling where, you know, the characters mature as the story progresses. I think it does
1: uh, a point, but yeah.
3: That's also my hope. Uh, um like, I, I would have described Rebels as juvenile um, when I first started watching it, too. And it is.
1: Yeah.
3: Right up until Tarkin shows up and starts killing people. Yeah. And then it's not right. a kid's show anymore.
2: And, well, and this is also a Dave Filoni production. So.
3: Interesting. That's right. Yeah,
0: because he went that. from Avatar to Star Wars. Um, <laughs>
3: So that 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 means there's a giant sneaker wave somewhere in that first season. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that's how it works.
2: Right. Um, and that's what I'm here for. So.
3: Yeah, I uh, I just like I said, I'm I get where people love this and why, just based on the the episodes that I've seen. But it's also very. Like yeah, I would find this entertaining if I were f- much younger.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Like if, yeah. like I was in the in my early twenties when Animaniacs was on, so I was not their target demographic. Except I kind of was, um, when it was first airing. And I think a lot of the people that I know that really enjoyed this. We're in their late teens or early twenties when Avatar first came out, so I mm-hmm. I get why they made that connection, even though it wasn't technically for them. Sure, it was it was supposed to be kids programming, but you know if you do it right, it animation doesn't have an age limit. Yeah, right. So. Yeah,
1: we'll
2: so I'm interested to see how this one pans
1: out.
3: Cool. Uh, um. I. I do appreciate the fact that it's got one of the last performances by Mako, so that's always oh, big right. in my book.
2: He's, He's the like, uh, the uncle from the Fire Clan, right?
0: Uncle Iroh. yep. Mm-hmm. Who wanted Fire to finish King. his wanted to finish his dinner first? <laughs> mm-hmm. And this, um, I like a good cup of tea. So really quick, before I forget, someone just shared a picture of Elliot Page and Laverne Cox together at some movie premiere and wrote, yeah. now hear me out, Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if Ava DuVernay is still doing, still doing. I think she's still doing that movie. Well, she's technically doing The New Gods. But... Mm. I saw that and I was like, well, I don't wonder, like, oh no, wait a minute. That totally works. Yep. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'd watch that.
0: Yeah. Oh boy, the size difference really shows with those two because they're they're wee.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, they're
0: they're what
3: four foot seven?
0: Yeah, eight Page is very very small. And yes. Vern Cox is very very tall. Yes. Just yes. like Mr. Miracle and Big Barda. Actually, I think Mr. Yep. Miracle's like six foot. It's that Big Barda's. Big Barda,
3: so yeah. it still works. Big, big Barda is Barda. like eight feet tall. Yeah, without her boots,
0: <laughs> right? Or the headdress, that big ass yes. headdress, which is awesome.
3: <laughs> yeah, Superman has to crane his neck to look up at Big Barda. Yes, if they're drawn the way they're supposed to be drawn.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: I'm just trying to find that picture
0: uh, Just Just look at my Twitter Now
2: Now, right okay. now, right now, um, now. Well I'll do it after the show
0: sure. Yeah we gotta wrap up the show Also probably better. I don't have access to my power And the computer is at like 20% So I gotta run to plug it in to render Oh, oh no. no We oh, better no. We, we really do gotta hurry up yeah, uh, I do believe next week we are going to have a nap. Yeah, yeah. The Reverend. I do the believe Reverend. so. Next the week. Reverend. So uh, yeah, we can say it now. We've got a pretty guest packed month. Uh, next week will be Rev Nat. Week after that, will be David Walker. After that, we'll be Greg and Lindsay with Building Character. And then mm-hmm. I think we're planning a special pre-New Year's Eve Cocktails with Geek in the City on the 29th. That sounds great. Uh, maybe v- we'll open virtual up to...
2: Cocktails with Geek yes, in the City. No, not, yeah, n-
0: no one come over to any of our houses, please, for the love of God. No. Don't. I won't let you in. I'll make you stay no. in the street. And I'll yell at you from the mic. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. It's going to be a packed December... And we're going to try to have some fun, which is good. With that, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Bina Rita.
3: And I'm Cable Hotch
0: Town. We'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to do a freeze frame. Freeze frame. Shh, shh. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yay!
1: Bye, nerds. <laughs>